You're listening to the First Baptist Rockdale Sunday Sermons Podcast. First Baptist Rockdale is a church dedicated to making disciples who make disciples. We hope you enjoy this week's message. So we're working through our summer series on the basics of our faith. Look at that. I'm halfway off the stage already, Bob. I mean, like, halfway off the stage. <laughs> Take a step back. That was, that was a little further than I needed to get. Uh, we're working through our summer series on the basics of our faith. We started with who is God. We discovered that God is this, uh, this eternal figure who's sovereign, who's good, who creates from his own power, um, and that he, he loves his creation. Right? We have this picture of who God is. He's also just, so he has rules, and he expects those rules to be followed. Then we talked about who man is, who are you, who am I, and that we're God's prime creation. When God finished creation, the last thing he made was man and woman, and he made us in his own image, and he said, I am very pleased with this. This is very good, what I have made. We were image bearers of God, but we broke creation through sin. We, we Part of what makes us image bearers is we have the ability to choose things, right? We have some choice as God has choice, and so we willfully chose to do the wrong thing, and we broke everything. And we'd like to blame Adam and Eve for that, but really we broke it, right? You broke it, right? You didn't come into this world and, and, and just beat the gauntlet of sinlessness. Here you stand 20, 30, 40, 80 years later, and your pile of sins is larger than eating one piece of fruit. Um, and so let's stop blaming them and let's start taking credit for what we've done. We broke it. Everything is broken because we're sin sick. Because of that, we were expelled from the garden. Because of that, the, the chasm between God and man uh, emerged. You know, before sin, God and man would walk together in the garden. They were together. And then after sin, there was this divide that was unable to be met by good works. You know, a lot of religions tell you if you do good things, if you'll be good enough long enough, then you and God will reunite, right? That's almost every other religion on earth. They give you specific good things to do. So in Islam, they give you five specific pillars. And if you'll maintain these five specific pillars, if you'll give your alms, if you'll say your prayers, if you'll make your pilgrimage to Mecca, if you do these five things, then you will bridge that chasm between you and God, right? Buddhism, the same thing. If you keep all these tenets of Buddhism and you do it well enough, then you will be united into this sort of universe of energy and love and you'll become part of this nirvanic experience, right? The idea is that you can do these things, but the Christian faith tells you the exact opposite. The only thing that you can do is make it worse, right? I think you know, someone says the only thing that you add to salvation is the sin that makes it necessary, right? That's what you do, what, they, the, what your work is breaking it. And so we can't bridge that gap, but God sends Jesus, God in the flesh, to bridge that gap for us. And Jesus did live a sinless life as a man. He did uh, beat down all of the curse that, that was passed down on mankind through his divine attributes. And he lived this sinless life and he died on the cross so that your sins could be paid for. He was the perfect sacrifice. In the Old Testament, they had sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. None of them were perfect, but when Jesus was sacrificed, that was it, right? Uh, when Jesus was, was offered on the cross, when he was crucified, 
You know, the veil that separated the presence of God in the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple was torn from top to bottom. And the picture is that God himself ripped the veil separating him and mankind because they could dwell together again through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so we have this Jesus, and the Bible says if we'll believe in Jesus, then that gap is closed because instead of God seeing your actions, your good deeds, good deeds, uh, your sins, your wickedness, he sees the righteousness of Christ instead. Right? That's what God sees for those who are in Jesus, those who believe on Jesus. Then we talked about the work of the Holy Spirit. This is last week. What is this Holy Spirit? We hear about it. What is the Holy Spirit? What's he doing? What's the action of the Spirit? And basically the action of the Spirit is to, to, to walk with us, to guide us, to counsel us, to convict us, and to instruct us. So the Holy Spirit is a daily present reminder of God's presence in your life. And so you don't have to, you don't have, to have some special person come talk to you. You know, a lot of religions want you to come talk to the guy who knows things. And I know some things, like I'm not ignorant of the Bible. I have read the Bible. Uh, I'm still reading the Bible. Uh, I have studied the Bible. I have some piece of paper, probably under my bed, that says that I have successfully completed some upper-level Bible training. Uh, someday I'll probably get that mounted on a nice little thing, and put, probably at my retirement, uh, on, on a wall somewhere. But my knowledge that I've received from seminary and from my undergraduate, all of that knowledge pales in comparison to what the Holy Spirit can instruct you of. Right? You possess within you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the, the very God who wrote Scripture. Right? So you have the ability to understand it just as well as I can. It's not to say you don't have blind spots. It's not to say that you're always going to yield to the Spirit. But, but you don't need someone else to come and stand between you and God. Because the Holy Spirit stands right there with you, interceding on your behalf. And so today, after all of that, we get to more of where we are now. A lot of this is ancient history. Who is God? The Ancient of Days, he's always been. Who is Jesus? He too has always been. Uh, who is mankind? We've always been the same as we were back in the garden. But today we're going to talk about this thing here. This thing that we call church. Right? Church is a foundation of our faith. There's a reason that these buildings sprung up all across the world. It's a part of what we do. Right? It's a part of who we are. This gathering of believers that takes place on a Sunday and then continues beyond the Sunday is a part of who we are. And this begins in the book of Acts. So if you have your Bible, you can open to Acts chapter 2. If you have your Bible today, Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament. My Bible, Acts chapter 2, is pretty far back there, it looks like. This is uh, the back of my Bible and the front of my Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, then Romans. Okay, so kind of right in there in the middle. Acts chapter 2, what's going on here is Jesus has ascended into heaven in Acts chapter 1. They've created a, a, a new apostle to take Judas's place. And then uh, we have this day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes. We talked some about this last week. When the Spirit comes, people start speaking in uh, tongues that they don't know. People start understanding the gospel uh, in their home language from people who don't speak their home language. There's this miraculous occurrence, and the, the church begins on that day. Pentecost is the birthday of the church. This is when the church began, when the Holy Spirit came. And so we celebrate the arrival of the Spirit and then we have this church that's formed. And if you go to the end of Acts chapter 2, we'll just read uh, the, the last, I don't know, five or so verses, 42 
through 47. This is what the Bible says at the end of Acts. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received uh, their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being Saved. Okay, so after the day of Pentecost, about 3,000 new believers were ushered into, into God's kingdom. And then we have the beginning of the church. And so this beginning of the church gives us kind of the purpose of what we are supposed to be about. The church, by the way, is a weird term. It's used two different ways, and so I'm going to explain them both at the front. And sometime I'll probably help tell you which one I'm talking about. We have what I call the Little C Church, okay? The Little C Church, that is this church. That is any individual church. First Baptist Church Rockdale, that we do capitalize church in that as a proper noun, is the Little C Church. It's a gathering in a local community of believers. So we're in Rockdale, Texas. Most of you probably live within roughly 15 miles of here, um, or at least, uh, I don't know, somehow found yourself within about 15 miles of here this morning when you woke up. Uh, and so he said, I'm going to go to church. And so you drove with the inside of that range. It's a local gathering of believers. And there are, I don't know, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of these little seed churches. In Rockdale, Texas, I don't know, there's like 40 of them, right? So you had a lot of little seed churches in Rockdale. And it's just a gathering of believers who've come together. And this matters, and we'll talk a lot about the little seed church because part of what we're doing here today. Uh, we'll be talking about how we're supposed to work. There's also a big C church, little C, but you can't really tell with my hand, huh? There's not enough difference between little C and big C. I should do like this, maybe. Uh, but yeah, is this a C or a backwards C for y'all? It's a C? I can't think that way. Okay. Uh, so uh, the big C church is the idea of every believer on earth right now who confesses Jesus Christ. And there's this unity across international lines across county lines right like we have some sort of a rivalry with a town that's across a river from us right and it's not a big river i believe it's a little river uh, that separates us and this other town right right <laughs> but but those people on the those those people on the other side of that little river right right those people who are gathered right now at first baptist church cameron at uh, you know, the Methodist church there in Cameron, the hundred other churches that are, I don't know, there's probably 30 other churches in Cameron, at Battown Baptist Church in Cameron. Those gathered saints as well who are all gathered today are a part of the big C church with us. We are brothers and sisters in Christ with those people. That's why we probably shouldn't burn their town down, by the way. Okay, despite everything in us that says burn the town down, right, the fact that there's brothers in Christ over there and sisters in Christ Let's put our pitchforks down and remember, right, that we're all on the same team, those of us who are in Christ. But that, that goes beyond little rivalries in high school football uh, to big issues, right? There are people over in Russia, right, and we have, we have issues with Russia as a country, right, because they're doing some pretty crazy nonsense on a national level right now. But there are people gathered in Russia who are part of the Big C Church who are brothers and sisters in Christ, 
right? And so we have to have some view of nuance, right? And people don't like nuance all the time because they think it's a softening uh, of where we should be firm. But like there are believers there, right? Those are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And when we reach heaven, when we reach this end, new heaven, new earth that God's going to orchestrate, which we'll talk about in a couple of weeks, when we reach there, those people will be there alongside of us. Right? And so we have to have a picture that God's kingdom is bigger than this. Sometimes we get too localized. Sometimes we think this is God's kingdom. And some churches have fallen into what I would consider to be an almost cultic idea of that. Like if you're not a part of this church, then you're not a part of the church. I'll give you a quick story about that. Someone somehow related to my wife's family. That's pretty specific, I'm sure. Um, I don't know how they're related. Um, but they were like... The parents of this person was buying some family land uh, that, that was, you know, my, it would be my grandmother, my wife's grandmother's land. And, uh, and so they were at my in-law's house one day, and we we're there, and they start talking about what's been going on in their, in their life story. And they had a son and a daughter, and I don't know if their son or daughter was kin to us, but whatever. They have a, a, a family that came from them, and the son was a minister at a church, a large church in Houston a church that I, I know, a church that I respect. And he was a minister there. He was on staff there. He was working there. And then these young kind of evangelists kind of came into town, and uh, they got captivated by their teaching. And they, they kind of fell in love with the teaching of these people. And so they quit their job there, uh, and they moved, uh, I forget the name of the town, Wells, Texas. That's where they moved. They moved to Wells, Texas. I don't know where Wells, Texas is. Some of you may know. You read Texas Monthly, you may have read this exact story. Uh, but, in a, but in Wells, Texas, there was a church there called the Church of Wells. And the Church of Wells began with some guys who were just evangelists telling people the good news about Jesus. And then something switched, and it began like, if you're not at our church, you're not a part of the church. Now, I don't know what they do with the people in China and the people in Russia and the people in you know, South Korea, what they do with all of these people gathered around the world, because not everyone's going to get to Wells, Texas, population 224, right? We're not all going to get there. Um, but if you weren't in Wells, Texas, at the Church of Wells, you were apostate. And, and so they, they, they cut everyone else out. That story has a terrible end to it, by the way. That family lost a child. They had a, a young infant who had a health issue. They needed to call an ambulance. The church said, no, you're not allowed to call an ambulance, and the church is in charge. And so that child died. They prayed over that dead child for like six hours or eight hours or something stupid before they called an ambulance to come finally to take that child away, right? And that's why Texas Monthly did a story about it. But, but, but I tell you this to say, like, there's churches out there that, that, that take, like, the big C, erase it all together, and think their little C is all that matters. And, and we all can kind of fall into that sometimes because we look at other churches and we're like, well, we're competing with them. Right? We got Meadowbrook in town, right? Meadowbrook Baptist Church. Some of you have been to Meadowbrook. Right? We left there, oh, we're here now. Right? And then six months from now, you're there, and we left there, we're here now. Right? We, we trade members from time to time, depending on what's going on in the history over there. And, and I tell people all the time, look, I want Meadowbrook Baptist Church to succeed. Like, they are not my competitor. I have no competition with them at all. If Meadowbrook Baptist Church is winning people to the Lord, if they're growing, if they're thriving... Rockdale, Texas is going to be happier, and the kingdom of God is going to be better. And I feel that way about every church that preaches the gospel. Now, there's some churches in town that I'd like not to grow because I feel like their gospel is deficient. But any church that teaches what I consider to be a good version of the gospel, man, I want them to do amazingly well. And I want God to win because I'm a big C church guy. 
I got to work at this little C church, and I want this little C church to thrive as well. But the big C church is really what matters, because when we get to heaven, God is not going to check your church membership card for First Baptist Church Rockdale. He does not care that you attended First Baptist Church Rockdale, or you attended First Baptist Church Cameron, or you attended you know, Bethany Baptist Church, wherever. Right? He doesn't care what church you attended. He cares whether or not you were a part of his kingdom. Are you in or are you out of the big C church? And so we need to understand that that's a big thing. But what are we supposed to be doing as a big slash little C church? Well, Acts 2.42 gives us a pretty good rundown of what we're supposed to do. The first thing that we're supposed to do, if you look at verse 42, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. The very first thing that we're supposed to do is we're supposed to study together. We're supposed to learn Together, We're supposed to devote ourselves to the teaching that God has given to us together. If you have a Bible, this is the Apostles' teaching. And it's a wonderful thing. I encourage you every Sunday, at least three or four times a month, you need to be reading the Bible personally, privately. You need to be in God's Word, consuming God's Word. It's good for you. But you should not do that solely alone. It's meant to be done inside the community of faith as well. And so, as most of you know... Like, that's why I preach the way I do. I'm like, here's what the Bible says in the book of Acts, and we just start and we go till we're done. Because we read it together as a community. We study it together as a community, and we're devoted to those teachings together. And what happens when we do this in a group setting like this, and when we do it in Sunday school classes, and we do it in small groups, where we're in a, in a group where we can communicate with one another, right, is we're sharpened to look more like Jesus, Day by day, we get better looking like Christ when we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. If you do it all by yourself, and I'm told the story of my friend who, who said he didn't need church. Whenever he was about 17 years old, he left the church. Now he's a devout atheist. Right? The reason that that happened to him was he left the community of faith. He said, I can study God's word on my own. But none of us, all by ourselves, without uh, the, the, the church coming around us, will be healthy studying alone. You may survive, you may do okay from time to time, but the church is a necessary component for believers. We're commanded not to give up gathering together, not to forsake the fellowship of believers together. And there are a lot of things asking you to forsake the fellowship of the believers. Right? There is an infinite supply of entertainment on Netflix on Saturday night at 11 p.m. And you turn on that show and you start at 11 p.m. You're like, I'm going to watch one episode. I'm going to go to bed at midnight. And you're like, this is good. And then 4 a.m. hits and you're done. Like, you got to go to sleep. And then the alarm goes off to say, hey, get your butt up and go to church. And you're like, yeah, not today. Right? A lot of times we forsake the fellowship because we make bad Saturday night decisions. I'm not saying you're out drinking and carousing, though some of you might be drinking and carousing on a Saturday night. Stop it, right? But, 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 but a lot of it is we just make bad decisions. We're like, well, I'm out of town. Like, uh, like I'm going to go catch an Astros game. The game starts at 6.05. It'll end at 9.05. Grab a bite to eat. That's 10.05. Get home at 11.05. Still geeked up because we won, because that's what we do, right? So I'm still geeked up that we won. I got to wait a little. It hurts, doesn't it, Kyle? Just a little bit. Man, I'm sorry. It's, you can come over. You know that, right? Okay, you can. Some of y'all are still holding on to Ranger fandom, and, like, I respect that. But, like, that was me whenever I was, like, seven, guys. We can move. Like, you can get better. 
You can move forward, okay? You don't have to stay where you are. But you, you, you get home at like 11, 12, 1 a.m., and the decision you made to travel into Houston, which is never a good decision, but the decision you made to travel into Houston for an evening game affected whether or not you have any energy to get here on the next day. The things that we let ourselves get plugged into. And they're like, oh, we've got, we've got Sunday morning activities. You know, you got Little League that does this. You got, everyone wants your Sunday morning. Because it's like, it's generally time that's available for people. Right? And so any organization who's not a church wants your Sunday morning, and they will take it. They will take it all. And if you get yourself involved in it, you're like, I can't. And, you, and you, you're, right, you're like, well, I made a commitment here. And so we forsake the fellowship there. Guys, we have to be careful about what we allow to lead us away from the church. I'm not saying you have to be at church 52 Sundays a year, right? I've missed more than that this year for sure with my sabbatical in there and sickness. But we should be apart, right? It shouldn't be an occasional thing where like, hey, I showed up today and then we'll see you again in six months, right? You should be a part of the fellowship right? because it matters. It matters for you. And when you try to do it alone, you can end up in some pretty weird places, because your understanding of the Bible may not, may not really measure up to what's true. I can't tell you how many times I've read the Bible and I've been like, I see something that's new. Like, no one has ever seen this before. And then I start talking about it with someone who's like, not an idiot. And they're like, no, that's, that's not right. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean? It says it right here. And they're like, yeah, but if you look kind of here, it kind of gives a better understanding of why that is absolutely wrong. And I'm like, oh, well, thank you. Because right? I would have just gone headlong into like some stupid heresy because I thought I saw something and I built like a whole like, oh, this is how this, this, this works. And like, no, that's not it. So we have to be careful about forsaking the fellowship. Part of what we do is we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching together. So when we do it together, we do it right. And when we devote ourselves to the fellowship, we know each other's business. The church should know one another. This is one of the shocking things to me in a church that runs 100 people on a Sunday is I'm like, oh, you know, so-and-so. I'm like, I don't think I've met them. And I'm like, they've been coming to church for like nine months. No, I don't think I've met them. Like nine months, this room is not that big. Like get around, talk to somebody. If you see someone you don't know, bring them in, right? We had a new person singing on stage today. Good work, by the way, high five. All right, we had, right, like, like, like get to know people when they show up. It's good. Talk to the people you don't know. You look around the room, you see somebody you haven't seen in a while. Boom, go talk to them. Someone shows up at the invitation. Good, go talk to them. Good to see you, Castillo. Glad you all are here, too. <laughs> Rob's like, what? <laughs> no, it's, it's go talk to people. Fellowship with each other. Know each other. It's part of what we are as a church is we, we deal with one another. We talk to one another. The next thing that we do after we devote ourselves to the teaching and the fellowship is we devote ourselves to the breaking of bread. This means, uh, legally, this means we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Like when we do, we celebrate the Lord's Supper six times a year. We'll be doing it. In two Sundays. So if you want to hit the Lord's Supper, be here in two Sundays. We'll do the Lord's Supper together in two Sundays. But also it means that we eat together, that we have meals together, that we, and there's something about eating together that things happen that do not happen when food is not present. Right, so my small group, which meets, not currently, um, but, but typically meets Sunday afternoons, 30 minutes of that small group is us eating why do we eat for 30 minutes? Well, some of us like it, okay, so that's a thing, right? <laughs> but really, when you're holding a plate of food and you're eating and you're talking about life, there's, there's a connection that happens. There's, there's something about meals that we share together as humans that brings us into intimacy together. 
where we can talk about what's going on in our world because we somehow we have this plate of food that separates us from one another so we can be open with each other. We need to be eating together. Why do we do a potluck? Uh, that's a very Baptist thing. Why do we do potlucks? Well, because we eat together. And you sit at that table, that round table, with six or seven people from the church, and you've got a plate in front of you, and you just get to catch up. And then I make you have a business meeting. I don't know why that seems out of place. <laughs> right? Well, we eat together because we're supposed to be sharing together. We'll eat the meal together that the Lord commanded us, right, to remember his sacrifice uh, and his blood and his body. But also we eat together because that brings the church together. The church should be united. The little C church should be united against the forces around us. And the big C church should have a union as well. And the final thing that we do is we devote ourselves to the breaking of the bread and to the prayers. And that means that we pray for one another. You know, the church should be empowered by prayer. Personal prayer, in your own personal life, prayer should be a huge part of what you do. Where you are daily praying for the needs that are in your world and in the world that, that connects to your world. Right, those adjacent to you. But the church ministry is something that is empowered by prayer. Right, you want to see this church grow, you want to see this church thrive, you want to see this church reach this community, you want to see darkness driven back. In the, in the radius that this church has an influence over, it's going to come through prayer. And not just personal prayer, but corporate prayer, where we gather together and we pray. We have times of prayer. Like we, we've had moments where we said we're going to have a prayer service and we pray together. Maybe we have a prayer meeting. You say, I can make that prayer meeting. I'm going to pray together. But through prayer, which is one of the purposes of the church, like we connect with the Father Right, And we ask him for his blessings on the church. And God answers prayers. Not always the way you want. Right, Enough of us have been around long enough to know sometimes the answer to our prayer is no. Right? Like we're like, God, please give me this. Or please heal so-and-so. And God's just like, no. It goes back to who God is, that he's sovereign, that he has a plan that's bigger than our plan. But he does hear your prayers. He does answer your prayers and... As if you read the Old Testament, you see as God hears the prayers of people, he's often favorably disposed to give them what they want. Right? Moses cries out to God. He's like, God, please stop the plague that's sweeping across here. God intended to wipe out everyone. And that's what it says. Moses is like, please, Lord, please stop. And God says, okay, I'll relent because you, because you approached me in prayer. Some of us, like, we, we, we've been so, like, I don't know, we've been trained that prayer doesn't matter. I don't know how we were trained to do that. I, I feel that way, too, right? Oh, well, you get to the end of someone's life, we've tried every medicine possible, and like, I guess all we can do is pray. Well, I guess that's all that's left is prayer now. And it's like, well, maybe we should have started there. I mean, we should have kicked that on before we dropped, like, 400 different experimental medicines into them. Maybe we could have prayed, too, right, at the very beginning of this thing. But instead, we, we exhaust all human means, and they're like, well, I guess I need to pray. Right, some of you have like, walked into the test, and you're like, man, I need to, I need to pray because I did not study for your test. Well, maybe you could have studied and prayed at the beginning when God would bless your studies, right? Maybe that's what you could have done. We're supposed to devote ourselves to prayer. The church should be a place of prayer, right? We should be a place where, where, where prayers are lifted up, personal prayers. We pray for those in our, in our fellowship who need it, and where we, when we pray that God will move. Right, every day, every Sunday before I preach, um, I don't know, 10, 20-ish, um, before this service starts, 
you know, I gather with, with Jonathan Ritchie and usually Doc Sheffield, maybe Brent's there as well, and we, we have a time of prayer for the service. Like, you're welcome. Like, I'm not kicking anyone out. You want to come and you want to join us in prayer? You don't have to say a word. You can just pray silently in your mind. But we ask that God will move powerfully because prayer matters. So we need to be a people of prayer. That's what the church is supposed to be, a place where, where prayers are offered, where, where bread is broken together, and where we study God's word in, in community. And if we'll do those things, this church, the church, will grow. Right? There's, a, there's a mission of the church, which is to make disciples of all nations, to make disciples who will make disciples. And that only happens when we start fulfilling the primary purposes that God has already given to us. We want to be at a church that's disciple-making, Study God's word together, pray together, eat together. That seems out of place almost. Eat together, break bread together, celebrate the, uh, the Lord's Supper together, right? Do those things together, and you will see God working in the church. Right, you wonder why, when, when are we going to see that? When we study God's word together, when we pray together, when we break God's bread together. When we do that, God will bless. And so I'm going to ask you today to get engaged in those areas. I'm going to ask you today to stop forsaking the fellowship for your Saturday night bad choices. Right, to prioritize finding your bed at an hour that lets you wake up in time. Some of you can find your bed an hour earlier, so you can get up an hour earlier to go to Sunday school, and you can be encouraged in God's Word and have an extra study hour. Because this hour where we spend together and I just talk at you is probably the least effective mode of communication. Right? Because I don't let y'all talk. Y'all don't want to anyways. I try. Amen. Yeah, see, almost. <laughs> right, right. I mean, like, we don't talk. And so there's no back and forth. It's just me spitting at you and throwing up all this information on you. You get in the Sunday school classroom, you get to talk, you get to give and take and come and go. You join a small group, give and take, come and go. It's good for your spiritual development. So maybe you need to get up a little earlier and go to a Sunday school class. We've got, I don't know, four or five adult classes you can choose from. We've got classes for your kids, too. Um, I encourage you, let's, let's, let's study the Word together. Let's break the bread together. And let's pray together as a church. Let me pray.